0: Welcome to the Bethesda Christian Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit yourbcc.org or download our mobile app from the App Store. This morning, I want to talk to you from one of the majors, one of the major prophets. Now, we've already... We've already gone through the book of Isaiah. We've been reading through the Bible together, as you all know, and we've made it through one of the majors, one of the major prophets, Isaiah, but we are going to be going through Jeremiah and also the other book that he wrote, Lamentations. We're going to be going through the book of Ezekiel and Daniel. And these were the major prophets, the ones that have been identified as being majors, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And why is that? Why are these guys, why do they get to be called major? And are the other ones that are referred to as minor, some say greater and lesser, were they really lesser? Are these more spiritual? Do they have somehow a better connection to God that we call them majors? No, that's not the case. The distinction was made based really on their ministries. The major prophets had long-time ministries, decades. They, uh, they did write a little bit more than most, but not all of them. There's a few uh, minor prophets that have long books, too. But that's the distinction. The majors had long ministries, covered decades, and... Well, I want to talk to you about one of them this morning, but before we do that, before we look at any passage in the Bible, and some of these prophetic messages can be difficult to understand, we should understand a little bit about the person, and their history, and their times, and the things that they went through, because that will help us understand their message better, and it will help us to bring their message forward into our own time, and To make that point, I'll give you an example. Think if you will, consider for a minute if I had a note here that I was gonna read and it was from George Washington or it was from Henry Ford or perhaps from Warren Buffett. So now I've mentioned these three names, I've got some kind of note from one of these. Are you thinking of something already? Do those names strike something in your mind about what those three particular individuals might have been going through? And if I reduced it down to say that note was from one of those three, you might even zero in on maybe a little bit more about what they lived through in their times. Uh, George Washington, you think of Washington, he's one of the fathers of our country. You might think of New England. Perhaps the Revolutionary War would come to mind. Maybe wooden teeth, you know, and all the problems you'd have to have if you had uh, splinters in your gums. Uh, you know, Perhaps you're thinking of leadership or freedom, independence, these kinds of things. And then there's Henry Ford. Now, if you think Henry Ford, perhaps you're thinking a different kind of revolution. He was part of the Industrial Revolution. Maybe Dearborn, Michigan comes to mind. The Assembly Line. Fair Lane. The Great House on the Rouge River. Maybe the Model T, the Model A. Something uh, of that sort comes to mind when you hear that name. Totally different era. Then a name like Warren Buffett. There's a contemporary name. Someone who's still alive. He's... uh, from Nebraska. So you're thinking perhaps Omaha, Nebraska, a whole different area than here in the Midwest or the Northeast. He's the oracle of Omaha. That's Warren Buffett because he's this prognosticator of uh, all the markets, etc. He's got the great uh, conglomerate holding company, Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, perhaps you think capitalism, stocks, and all that kind of thing. Now, if I told you I had a note from one of these individuals and it was about a market crash, well, that could mean different things, right, for, for the different times that they lived in. I don't know, for George Washington, maybe it just meant a building collapsed. You know, for Henry Ford, he might be thinking of the Great Depression because he, he lived through that and his company lived through that. Or maybe if it's Warren Buffett, you might be thinking of a more recent crash. I don't know, the real estate bubble burst or something like that. But instantly with the person, if you know a little bit about their time and their history, you have a better appreciation for the message that they're they're bringing. It helps you to understand it and it helps you to bring it forward. And so it is with God's messengers. We need to know some things about the, the people and their times and their history so we can move the message forward, bring it into our own time, make application for today, and ask, can we draw any parallels? Can we pull out any principles from their message? Because now we have a better way to interpret it and understand it by knowing about the person in their times. So this morning, I'm gonna... Consider one of these majors, one of the major prophets. Uh, I want to talk to you from Jeremiah because we've been reading through his book. Just give you a little bit, a very brief, a uh, brief uh, overview of the man so we have a little bit of understanding of who he was, what was going on in his life. Many of you might know that he was called the weeping prophet. He, he, he was really in pain over the message that he had to bring to the people, the people of Judah, which was at that time called Israel because the kingdom to the north was gone. And he wept and he cried in chapter 9 of his book. He says, my head is is like a spring of water and my eyes a fountain of tears. Hence the name, a weeping prophet. That's what he was famous for. That's what many know him for. But what characterized this fellow more, a little bit more of his life? Jeremiah, his name means God establishes or Jehovah establishes or raises up. He was from a priestly family. His dad's name was Hilkiah. He was mentioned as a high priest. And this High priest Hilkiah, he was the one who discovered the book of the law back in uh, the, the reign of King Josiah. It seemed like God's word had, had been lost. Hilkiah had found it and you know, Josiah read it. You can read about that in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. And it, it was a great time. So this was J- Jeremiah's father. Uh, and Jeremiah went on to serve God it seems that he was uh, a bachelor all his life. You can read in Jeremiah 16 how God warned him, don't marry because this city's going away. It's really going to be a problem. You know, children and wives are going to die. Don't, don't get married, he told him. Uh, and he may have been a man who had some money. He had uh, bought the estate of a bankrupt relative. Really, it didn't seem like he had any problem doing that. That's Jeremiah 37. And he might, not have been the most, he might not have been the most handsome guy in the block. He might not have been the most strong guy on the block. And why do we come to that? Well, J- Jerusalem had been invaded three times over the course of about 20 years by this nation of Babylon. And in the first attack, when Babylon came in, they took the strongest and the best-looking of men, and you might be reminded of Daniel and his friends. They were the best of specimens. And the king from Babylon took them captive. That was the first wave of attack, if you will. Maybe eight, nine years later, Babylon came back to Jerusalem. And again, they, they took the strongest that were remaining because they were taking them to the outskirts of Babylon to begin to work on irrigation channels and dig ditches. And that's when Ezekiel was taken. So Daniel first and then Ezekiel, they prophesied from foreign land. And then 10 years later in the third wave, the final wave, Babylon came, they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, busted down the walls of the city, burnt anything that would burn. And they just left Those people who were weak, uh, the poor, the infirmed, people that really wouldn't help them, and they were all left behind. Now, Jeremiah wasn't taken in any of these invasions, so that gives us a little hint about maybe who he was. And of course, he was getting older in those uh, days. Many years earlier, though, God had called him, he was young when he was called. And he was reluctant. And maybe that's something you can relate to. Reluctance. When God is asking you to do something. There in the first chapter of Jeremiah, chapter one, verse six, he said, Lord, I don't know how to speak. No, no, I'm too young. I'm too young. I can't do this work. But the Lord said, Jeremiah, don't say that. Don't say that you are too young. Because I am sending you. And wherever I send you, I will be with you. I'm appointing you, he said. Imagine, you're a young man. I don't know. He may have been 20 years old, maybe 18, somewhere in that area. And God said, I am pointing you over nations and kingdoms. Well, with that word of encouragement from God, Jeremiah's reluctance, went away, and he listened, and he was obedient, even though it was going to be very difficult for him. I don't know that he knew he'd become the weeping prophet that would weep over so many kings. He lived through five kings of Judah, Josiah, Jehoahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoachin, and Zedekiah. He lived through the reign of five kings. And it wasn't easy dealing with these kings because they were rebellious against God. And Jeremiah was bringing a word to these kings that you need to get right with God or your your kingdom and your capital city here of Jerusalem is going to get wiped out. He was prophesying the fall of Jerusalem. Imagine going to your leader saying, you're going the wrong way. You're doing the wrong thing. So the man suffered. Jeremiah suffered. He was beaten. He was locked in stocks. He was forbidden to enter the temple area because they didn't like what he had to say. They said, you're not allowed to come in here anymore. He was imprisoned. He was cast into an empty cistern that was just full of mud on the bottom and he he sunk into the mud. This poor guy, he had questions for God. He had grievances for the Lord. He was called to do this work, and it was difficult. And he asked questions like this. God, why is there no healing for the people? And that's in chapter 8. And he said, how long will the land lie parched and dry? It's chapter 12. And then he asked, God, why has my pain been perpetual? It is never ending. That's in chapter 15. And then he asked this question. Why did I ever come out of my mother's womb? Imagine how down you have to be. That's chapter 20. Jeremiah said, why did I even come out? He got to the point where he said, cursed is the day I was born. Would it be that I just died in my mother's womb? What's he, what's he wondering? Have you ever had a day like that? He's wondering, God, where are you? Where are you? What is going on? Did God just put me in this world and then step back and and watch? Have you ever felt that way? God, where are you? What is going on? You put me in this world. Now what are you doing? Do you have anything to do with me at all? Is there any interaction from you, God? Where are you? My pain's perpetual. It never ends. I, mean, I think sometimes we could ask some of these same questions. In his hurt and in his pain, Jeremiah might have needed a reminder of the day that God called him. The very first word that God gave him. And I want to read that to you. It's Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, right there at the the opening of his book. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? So God gave him a vision. And he answered, he said, I see the branch of an almond tree. The Lord said to me, you have seen correctly for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. Now, Jeremiah, I think, might have needed to be reminded of that word from God. That's a great word. God said, I'm watching. God is watching. But is he just standing back and doing nothing? Is God just idly watching us? Is it, was he idly watching Jeremiah? He said he was looking for something. God said he was looking for something. He was looking for his word to be fulfilled. And what's, a, what's an almond tree got to do with that? What's a branch of an almond got to do with that? What well, was uh, somewhat of a play on words? Almond and watching. Those two words sound almost identical in Hebrew. Very close. And second, the almond tree is the, one of the first to blossom in the springtime. First to bust out with a flower, sign that spring's coming. You know, like the crow or like the rooster crows uh, before the morning, right? The rooster prophesies the coming of the morning sun. So the almond tree's prophesying there's something coming. So God saying to Jeremiah, hey, I'm watching I'm watching for my word to be fulfilled. I'm watching for something coming. I'm with you, Jeremiah. He went on to tell him. So God is watching for the fulfillment of his word. He's not standing by idly. He's watching for the word to be fulfilled and he'd be watching over the word that Jeremiah would be bringing to Jerusalem. But is he more involved? Is he more involved than just this this watching that you might argue Well it's still he's, he's not really getting involved much How long is the land going to lie parched How long am I going to be in pain Why did I even come out of my mother's womb well, I keep asking these questions Because God just seems like He's standing by and watching There's trouble in this life Where are you God Where are you He's here He is here, and this morning, I'm here to tell you that God does not just watch idly. God is involved with our lives. God is a hands-on God. He is interactive with his creation. He doesn't stand by watching idly. And yes, there are times where we feel all alone. Yes, there are times where we question God. Jeremiah had his times of sincere Questioning, but God responded. And I want to share with you one of those responses. It's from Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, can I, can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does? Declares the Lord, like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand Israel. Now God presented Jeremiah with somewhat of a living parable. He said, hey, go to that potter's house and just take a look. Now what do you see? The potter there was shaping some clay. He's working his wheel, spinning the, spinning the clay on the wheel, but something goes wrong. And that smooth spinning clay suddenly becomes unbalanced and it is flopping around on the, on the wheel. That beautifully balanced cylinder has become an oblong mess and it was swaying out of control. So the potter had to stop and then pound the clay back to the center, pound the clay back into a clump and he began anew. They began shaping another pot. I'm going to do with Israel what this potter is doing. Reform it, reshape it. And the image of this potter was familiar to Jeremiah. Now, when you need a pot, what do you do? Well, we go, we go to the store. We run up to one of the big box stores. I don't know, maybe go online. You get yourself a pot. You need a pot. You need some kind of Uh, Pottery, we just go buy it. We never see the raw material spinning. We never see it shaped. We never see it glazed and dried and then thrown into a kiln and fired. Nah, we just got the end product. See, but Jeremiah, in his day, this was an image he understood. Need a pot? You got to go to the potter's house. You have to go to the place where they're making it. It wasn't uncommon to see it, it was common in his day. There's this. Potter spinning the wheel and he's working the clay. This is the image that God wanted to penetrate. God is working the clay of his people. Now, does that, does that present to you a, a God that's standing back and watching idly? Or does that present to you a God that's hands-on? And I'll submit to you that's a God that's hands-on. If if God is saying, Jeremiah, this is what I'm going to be doing. This is me and my people, and I'm going I'm to reform them. I'm going to reshape them. What, what happened when Jeremiah was watching? This clay clump became marred. Now, imagine it's spinning, spinning beautifully. The, the potter is spinning this clay, and he, he has water, and, and, and it's a nice, smooth pot or cup or whatever vessel he's making. And in his hands, that clay is being formed beautifully. But then suddenly, his hand hits a spot of resistance. There's a spot of tough clay. And there's resistance. And that resistance in the clay, it acts as something. It acts as a break to this spinning mass. That hard spot, that resistive spot of clay, it sort of stops the, the cylinder from moving and the clay begins to pile up behind it. It, it piles up behind it, this resistance where it's hung up on the potter's hand and more and more builds up until this, until this nice, beautiful cylinder now is oblong and, and it's out of balance and it's marred and it's, it's defective, it's blemished and the potter's got to pound it back. He stops, I got to put this back to the center of the wheel. Israel, you're going to be pounded back to your initial form. This was the sign for Jeremiah. God's not just watching. He is a hands-on God. And he desires his people to be smooth and willing and submissive under his guiding hands. I mean, this is a picture of following God's ways. It's a picture of abiding by his word. It's an image of being obedient to God. Now throughout Jeremiah's book, God continually calls his people back to obedience. Come on back to me, he keeps saying over and over and over again. He wanted his people to turn away from following after false gods. He wanted the man-made shrines torn down. God desired the people's hearts. He desired their all. He wanted them to surrender to him. Over and over he said, follow me, obey me, turn back to me, and you will be spared. God would have even spared the entire city of Jerusalem had one man been repentant, King Zedekiah. Jeremiah said, repent, turn away and the city will be spared. Believe me. But like the king who didn't repent, most of the people in their hearts, they resisted God. They defied God. They pushed back against the, the gently guiding hands of God. And how did they do this? How did they defy God? Well, they ignored his law they forgot about the Sabbath day. They honored false gods. Even one of the kings that Jeremiah had the word of God taken to on a scroll, that king cut off piece after piece and burned it. This is how they dishonored God. And they honored false gods. And they neglected the poor. And they neglected the orphans. And they despised God's ways. God was resisted in many, many ways. Now, can we take any of that and apply it to our lives today? Yeah, Are you having a tough go of it? Are you wondering why? Why, God? Where are you? Why is this happening? I'm in pain. I'm hurting. But perhaps you should ask another question. God, am I resisting you? God, am I pushing back against your ways? Where am I pushing back? Help me to see it. Perhaps it's a matter of trust. Are you trusting God with everything? Have you surrendered all? Or are there areas where you're just not, you know, you've given 80% to God, but when it comes to certain things, no, it's not happening. Maybe it's giving. Maybe it's this idea of tithing. I just can't come to that. can't trust God there. It's resisting God. It's missing his blessing. Maybe, it's, maybe it is reaching out to the poor, the needy, the orphaned. You're busy. You've got other things to do. Perhaps you've resisted the call of God. Maybe you know that God has put his hand on your life and he's calling you and he's asking you to do something. You know, Jeremiah said, no, I'm too young. Moses said, I can't speak, God. Don't make me do it. Elijah said, oh, God, I'm the only one left. Just kill me. Jonah said, no. And he ran the other way. Are you resisting a clear call of God on your life? Are you resisting some direction that he's put on you? And are you pushing back against that? You just don't believe God can do it. You don't believe he can do what he said he's going to do. Listen, if God picks you and he asks you to do something, he will equip you. All of us, we've got to stop resisting. We've got to stop resisting his hand and let him guide us. Have you resisted God by seeking comfort in the wrong place? His word, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, God is a god of all comfort. Are we running to places of comfort like drugs, alcohol, food? Are we are we running into the arms of another person for comfort in some illicit relationship? I don't know. I don't know your heart. God knows your heart. You know your heart. You know if there's an area where you're just resisting, it could be a big area, it could be a small area, pushing back against God. But God would have us to stop that. God would have us to stop pushing back, stop resisting. And you know, even in our resistance, God can make something new. See, when Jeremiah watched the potter and the clay became marred and disfigured, potter could have done a couple of things. He could have taken that clay and said, you know, it's just, I don't know, I didn't need it enough. It's, 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 it's got too many hard and tough spots. He could have just pitched it aside. But he didn't. He did not know. He took that same lump of clay and he began to make something new. He began to make something new. How glorious is that? When we resist God's purpose and we all but wreck our lives He can make us new again. You know, truly, we'd be hopeless. We'd be hopeless, but for the fact that we have a mighty and powerful God that is able to remake us and to reform us, even when we've rebelled badly against him and we've thwarted his blessing. And that newness, that transformation of life, it comes only through Jesus Christ. It only comes through Jesus Christ and the cross of Christ. Repent of your sins. Turn from your resistance. Come to Jesus and he will begin something new. And he doesn't expect instant perfection. There there might be times of resistance where we push back. But if you've sincerely come to him, He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. You cannot be snatched from his hand. I remind you of Philippians 1, 6. You can be confident of this, that he will begin a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And remember we talked about last week from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Therefore, if... Anyone is in Christ. They are a new creation. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. God wants you. And he wants your heart. He wants all of you. He wants you through his son, Jesus Christ. And he gave us a way that when we resist, when we oppose God and we challenge his way, he offers us grace. And he offers us a way back to being gently shaped and formed under the guiding hands of the potter, our great and powerful God. He offers us a way where we can confess our sin and confess Jesus Christ. And it's great to be able to do that now, to recognize our resistance and turn from it rather than wait. Until the day where every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't want to wait till that day. I want to do it now. I want to say, Lord, thank you for what you have given us in Jesus. Thank you that you've given us the opportunity that when we resist, we can confess And God would ask us to do that.